Hey there. Thanks for tuning in to Ermia Matters, where we talk all things Ermia as an association and all things higher education risk management and insurance. Let's get to it. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Ermia Matters Podcast. I'm Craig McAllister, Ermia board member and the executive director of risk management for the University of Miami. Today's podcast is talking about an Ermia white paper that was created entitled Identifying, Valuing, and Protecting Research at Universities. With me today is Courtney Davis-Curtis, Amy Daly, and Gary Langsdale. I'd like Courtney to say a few words about herself. Thanks, Craig. My name is Courtney Davis-Curtis. I'm the Assistant Vice President for Risk Management and Resilience Planning for the University of Chicago. I'll state a little bit about our organization in that we are a university who also has an academic medical center as well. But I am also Ermia's president-elect. Thanks, Courtney. Amy? Hi, Craig. Good to see. Good to hear you. I'm Amy Daly with FM Global, which is a property insurance company, and I'm based in Rhode Island. We insure a lot of large universities, including many of the heavy research universities, and I'm the education practice leader. Thanks, Amy. And Gary? Hi, Craig. I'm Gary Langsdale, the education manager for Ermia and a recent graduate of retirement from 16 years at the Pennsylvania State University. Well, thanks, Gary. So to start off with, how did this project come about? So I I would start by saying that I think it's been about a decade that, you know, at, at FM Global as a property insurance company that we started seeing a lot of claims popping in with research spe- specimens and equipment, maybe more than 10 years. And we've done a lot of talking about it. And, and, and the one big thing is that these claims were always a surprise, like kind of a big surprise to risk management and insurance. And, um, you know, the losses involved materials that maybe weren't included in values that were collected by risk managers. And so not everyone knew that those exposures even existed. Now, maybe the principal investigators did know about those, of course, but they don't know how insurance works and maybe don't have that risk management perspective in place. So we realized altogether there's like been some gaps. And I think there's like two big gaps, Um, the gap between principal investigators and risk management insurance and then the gap between the universities and the insurance companies. So we just want to make sure that nobody's surprised and we wanted to put this project together to get our arms around it. Amy, I'd like to add that that one of the other surprises is trying to put a value on research specimens. Um, You know, the gizmos are not hard to figure out how to replace, but the specimens are everything from animal to vegetable to mineral, and not all are easy to put a dollar replacement cost on, and that's always a surprise too. So Gary, were were you ever able to put a value on the 100th generation rat that may have <laughs> expired? Um, <laughs> and, and that's the issue. I, Penn State had a case in which it was tissues from cancer victims that a researcher lost in a 
typical research freezer uh, power outage situation. And these samples had been gathered over 20 years, starting 10 years prior to that loss. And the researcher not only couldn't figure out how to value these actual samples or how to replace them easily because these samples were themselves the basis of significant research, but also because these were her patients, she had a, a real attachment. She had a vested interest psychologically in these samples and couldn't figure out what it would be like not having these tissue samples, these tumor samples from patients she had known. And at one time, she had to, we asked her for a range, and she came up with a range that varied from 500000 to $20 million, depending on how she calculated. And that's just a good example. That's a, a simple loss scenario, but a good example of the, the incalculability of some of these issues. And that was a big part for when I was at Penn State, trying to determine a method and participating in this working group to try and find a way to put values and to at least start the conversations at um, the universities. And Courtney, could you talk about, you know, how would we start this process? I think you really have to start with getting the support from your organization uh, to, to get behind you because it is going to involve a lot of stakeholders. Um, you know, naturally reading the paper is an excellent point of, of reference to start with so that everyone can appreciate the, the work ahead, but you've got to build the stakeholders and support from across the organization because that's the only way to really ever be successful in any endeavor of this size. I think, you know, naturally risk management is a natural convener given all areas come back to risk management here, whether it's the, you know, some of the communication, the collection and valuation, there's certain benefits to us, but also the research areas and some of the follow-up that happened thereafter. But it really has to start with getting the support across the organization at all levels to make this a priority because I think ultimately there's some benefit to each and everyone who would be involved. So it's really that, you know, that, that starting with who do you need to talk to and to get that support within your institution. You know, with that, Gary, could you talk some more about just about the framework of the project? Yeah, so this was started out to be a great project with a dozen risk managers and Amy was the first one who came to the table to get this thing going. But as Ermia corporately became more involved. We also brought in other insurers to get their perspectives, which was natural. And we divided the, the paper into three segments and different risk managers participated in different aspects of it. And I would ask Amy to talk about what the three segments are. And we asked each one to kind of sort of write a section. Everybody contributed equally. It was a great group process and it wasn't hard to put it into one voice to make it a good outcome. 
Yeah, sure. So I'll jump in on kind of the three areas that we focused on for the paper. And those are number one, identification, figuring out where all this stuff is, which is, you know, a big, a big job for any risk manager at any university. And then number two, as Gary talked about, kind of the hardest piece, how do you value it once you know where it is and what it is? How do you put a value on it? to give to your insurance company so that in the event of a claim, you're all set. And then the last piece is the protection, like figuring out, you figured out now where it is, you've identified it, what is it exposed to? What losses could it, you know, what loss perils exist in that area and how do you prevent those kind of losses? And then business continuity falls into that prevention piece as well. So this sounds like the risk management process Sure. Yep, exactly. We use that same normal framework. Courtney, you want to talk about that? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's interesting as we're talking today, I kind of think about how this project all came together to be akin of how you have to approach it at your respective organization, too. Um, So, you know, identifying the risk is is always a good starting point, um, you know, to kick things off as a general basis. But when we as risk managers are tackling any project, whether it's related to a property risk, a liability risk, or anything, I think always going back to the core process to help you facilitate project manage and and to really block and and tackle all the key areas is always a, a good foundation and starting point to make sure that you capture and exhaust everything and take a holistic approach. So what can this paper you know, bring to those that, that have research at their institution. Um, you know, we it spells out that certainly the identification, the valuation, and the protection. But what are some of the keys that, that would go towards using this document on their campus? I, I think that this gives people a framework to have more conversations, to talk to their research administration folks, to talk with the vice provost for research to have conversations at a more detailed level with the department chairs about what kind of research is going on, even to have faculty meetings, meetings with departments about, you know, hey, we do ensure this stuff, but we need to know about it. Um, and, And that's one of, for me, the one big, one of the biggest takeaways from this is the need to have this conversation, it is fundamentally the risk management process, but it is an application of the risk management process on a specific topic that doesn't get much attention until you have a loss. Absolutely, I completely agree with you, Gary. I mean, we wanna bridge the gap in that communication between research and risk management. That hasn't been there. So this, hopefully this paper, if even a researcher or a PI can read it and really understand where the risk management perspective is coming in so that they, they kind of get it. You know, it, it's, you're right, Gary, it's awareness. Um, is there any insights that, that come from some of the valuation components on this that, you know, how do you value something that's irreplaceable? I, I don't think that this paper is going to tell you how to find a value for those tumor tissue samples but it's going to get you to the right place to have the conversations so you can think about it pre-loss 
not only from evaluation. So what would it take if we have this freezer full of tissue samples? What would it take to replicate them? That's the conversation that this paper will lead you to, not it's $1.98 a piece. Um, but, but it will lead you to have that conversation so that the researchers and the department chairs and the vice provost of research aren't shocked when you say, oh, by the way, we're three months post lost and still trying to figure out what the dollar value of this stuff is. Because it's not just the tissue samples, it's the core, the ice core from the Greenland ice sheet that was sampled 50 years ago that if it melted, what's it gonna, you're not gonna be able to replace that. It's the hundredth generation rat that you mentioned, Craig. There are so many animal, vegetable, and mineral things. Each one has its own valuation mechanism and you're not gonna read this paper and figure out how to do it, but it will lead you to the conversations so that there are fewer surprises. I think that's exactly right. And what I really love about this paper is how it's framed. There's a lot of questions. So you could take this paper, provide it in advance, review it collectively or individually. And there's going to be questions that are really going to get the conversation started. When you ask it from yourself and your perspective and think through it, that may be how you get to the finish line to take those conversations and get to an end goal. But the, the level of outlines and, and, and questions in here, I think, are what's most helpful to help facilitate that discussion. And, and being proactive. I love what both Gary and Courtney just said about being proactive and doing this pre-loss so that we're not trying to go back and figure that out once the claim is happening. Never a good thing. With the, the, the paper, there's lots and lots of examples. And I think that's very important because that does include the, the conversation there um, and, and gets that, that conversation primed for people. Are there you know, we, we've talked about the researchers. You talked about the, um, you know, the the provost for research or vice president, whoever's in that role. Are there others at the institutions that should be aware of this, such as facilities teams? Absolutely. I mean, often when you think of a loss event on campus, facilities are often the, the folks who are there 24-7. So not only does it inform them about what is where, it may inform them about the protections that need to be in place, who things need to be alarmed to. And, you know, facilities may be a little bit more obvious, but another one I would highlight too are some of your financial accounting folks or people who are managing assets across campus. So it really goes deep into the organization because there's a lot of inner workings of, uh, of, of who could be involved here. I, I would also say that building on that, Courtney, is the issue is, what do you mean we have 20 freezers all lined up and on the same set of switchgear that is subject to an outage? That, you know, that could be a surprise to the, to the folks who manage the electrical distribution around campus to, to find out that, hey, this circuit needs, needs protection or we need to figure out a way to get backup power. Um, if, if nothing more than just an emergency generator, if something happens. 
And certainly, Gary, that's, you know, I think everybody has suffered a freezer failure at some point, whether it's from it being unplugged for somebody to run a floor machine or it's because the, the second compressor failed as well. So that's that's definitely a, a good idea to be looking at here from this. Are there other takeaways that you'd like to share, um, you know, before people go through and read the entire document? Craig, I love that you just brought up the examples. There's a lot of examples, and unfortunately, we've seen a lot of these claims over the years, over the decades. There's a lot of lessons that can be learned already. Um, So maybe pointing to those examples within the paper um, and from your peers at other institutions and learning from those in order to, you know, really protect your university's research and reputation. And, and I agree, as we say, that, you know, it's never waste a good tragedy. So let's learn from others' mistakes instead of repeating them ourselves. Yeah, I think, I think this paper is a clarion call to reach out to others around the university where there is valuable research that the researcher may think it's well protected because it's in a freezer with a lock on the door, that they may not be thinking about what could happen down the road. And I would just say to start somewhere, tackling this all as a, a long-term commitment, potentially, to, to really work through all these steps, but there's benefits you gain throughout the way. So if you improve communication amongst all of these parties to get build a better understanding of the risk and the need to go down this road to help identify and value, that's a win. If you then move on to the next step and you're able as an organization to really put some value on some of the research items out there or different components, that's a win. And then if you get to the final step about really understanding some of the business continuity planning around it, that's a win. And whether you start with the beginning or the end, really just starting at all could be a win. And I would also remind folks to use your partners, use your insurance company You know, maybe they can focus their engineering and their assessment, their risk assessments on helping you find where the freezers are and what alarms they have or what backup power they have or don't have. So, you know, use use your partners outside of your organization as well to your advantage. I have one last question is where can this document be found? It is in the Ermia Library. Excellent. (laughs) Under, Under Ermia White Papers. Perfect. I'd like to thank Courtney and Amy and Gary today for the conversation around identifying, valuing, and protecting research. Uh, It's a very important topic. And just by starting the process, people may find out a lot more about research than they knew that they had. So again, thank you. And this is the end of another Ermia Matters podcast. You've been listening to Ermia Matters. You can find more information about Ermia at www.urmia.org. For more information about this episode, check out the show notes available to Ermia members in the Ermia Network Library.